Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Early Odds with Joe Ostrowski. Oregon's down by 12. They're on the 45-yard line with no timeouts. Oregon's got an all-American field goal kicker. Why didn't somebody tell me? Bet with an edge. He'd find out the kind of inside stuff nobody else knew, and that's what he put his money on. He even figured out the different bounce you got off the different kinds of wood they used on college basketball courts, you know? Early Odds with Joe Ostrowski. A friend of mine is very smart, said I've been very lucky with gambling. I've never won. It's Combine Weekend and Quarterback Day, so we'll be all over the signal callers expected to go on day one in a moment. The College Hoops regular season already winding down as the calendar has flipped to March, and we'll get into MLB home run leader over the next hour here on Early Odds. Broadcasting from the Score Hyundai Studios, presented by your local Hyundai dealers. Here's your draft updates in the betting markets. Caleb Williams, minus 1,000 to be the first overall pick. Caleb Williams, Minus 900 to go to the Bears. So we're talking about an implied probability north of 90% for both of those bets. And there's Justin Fields. He's been the favorite to move on to Hotlanta for a while. But there was a massive move this week. We're talking up to minus 200 and now all the way up to minus 425. Yeah, Fields to the Falcons is a minus 425 favorite. The Bears are second there at plus 250. Still a bear. Steelers also in the mix at plus 450. Feels like just a matter of time before Fields is traded. And then the biggest draft story is probably going to move on to number two between Drake May and Jaden Daniels. Had a pair of outstanding draft guests on BetQL Daily this week to discuss these QBs. Some throwing today, some not. Scott Smith of 444.com. He's one of the most accurate mock drafters in the game. We started with the quarterbacks after Caleb. May and Daniels. Take a listen. Yeah, I think you can kind of add two more into the mix, and those two would be uh, J.J. McCarthy and Bo Nix. Uh, I think Michael Penix, is, it's going to be a big week for him to have to prove some things, specifically in the medical department, which we're not going to be privy to until closer to draft time. But I think those two guys get to shine front and center. I, I think Drake May is pretty much solidified as the the number two quarterback in this class. And and it's it's quite shocking because I thought going into this, this combine that this was going to be a time 
for Jaden Daniels to shine. I thought he was going to be able to to go in there, show off the deep ball, which is what shines there in throwing drills, and then also be able to test and run well. The fact that he decided to kind of stand on his resume there at LSU and, and be in a more controlled environment there on his pro day is quite shocking because I thought it was going to open up some windows to, to really get – some some argument for Jaden Daniels to be there at uh, the number two pick there to to Washington, and uh, I think that window kind of shuts a little bit, and you start looking at some of the the early odds on Drake May to be the number two pick at minus one fifty is what I looked at earlier this morning. I think that's a bet that I I might start eyeing here in the next day or two because I think Drake May is going to have a strong combine. Yeah, I mean, this guy, we're going to talk a lot about the quarterback position, and I'm here in Chicago, and it's the only thing people want to talk about, uh, what's going to happen there with Caleb and uh, Justin Fields, and the odds are saying it's it's not even close to a decision. We'll see if that ends up being the case. I want to talk about Marvin Harrison Jr., because I'd say the last 15 years or so, we're not seeing receivers go in the top three. We see the impact that they make, but you'd have to go back to the days like Larry Fitzgerald, like early 2000s, um, Andre Johnson, for receivers to go in the top three. Do you think there's going to be that team that is like, he's the guy, he's got the highest floor of anybody in this draft, game changer, and let's say they're calling New England, trying to get to three or, or even Washington at two to to lock it in for Mar- Marvin Harrison Jr. I think there's some arguments that he could be there at three. Uh, you know, if you start looking at it, he's the early favorite to be the first non-quarterback drafted in this draft. You start looking at it, and it's really just a perfect storm for him from a talent standpoint, being that his dad was also a Hall of Fame wide receiver. So it's in the blood. And then he performed at a high level early on at a big school. So everything kind of kind of locks on and, and gets him there. But it, it's disappointing. And I think it's kind of a reflection of some of the stuff that's been going on with some of these NIL deals and, and how the college football landscape has changed. But it's disappointing that he's not going to be at the combine, not performing, not doing a lot of those things. But it also kind of is a reflection of just how strong his, his standpoint of the first receiver coming off this board in this draft. And I think you will have some teams there considering. And I even could see a possibility where New England passes on quarterback because you're going to need a very specific offensive coordinator to develop around Jaden Daniels if he's the third quarterback. So there is a scenario for a a prospect as locked in and as clean as what Marvin Harrison Jr. is to be that number three pick. One thing I love about the draft is things can start to change as we start to get closer. And there has been some discussion about Malik neighbors being better than Marvin Harrison Jr. Could you see more steam coming on that as we get closer to the draft? I think you'll see some steam, and I, I think Malik Neighbors. When you start comparing what he did at LSU to to the likes of Justin Jefferson, you know, and Jamar Chase, he's right there in line. A little bit different player. He kind of excels a little bit more than those guys with uh, yards after the catch, rather than some of the downfield stuff that Justin Jefferson. But his his numbers and stats are right there on par. I, I think he is firmly solidified over Roma, Roma Dunze as uh, the number two wide receiver coming off the board. And I really think that you can start to look at it in, in New York there trying to to build around what they have and and not having wide receivers in that room I I almost feel like six is kind of his floor for Malik Neighbors and what he does you know that's interesting you bring that up Scott because I was just going to circle back around a quarterback Scott Smith the four for four with us follow him on Twitter at Scott Smith FF Um, let's say there is you know a little bit of a not shake up but let's say it's not one two three for quarterbacks, right? Like you said, uh, New England says, well, we don't feel comfortable having to develop a Jaden Daniels. Um, and Daniel slides a little bit. 
Would the Giants consider, I know they say they're committed to Daniel Jones, but is it worth rolling the dice on a work in progress, maybe Jaden Daniels, and then giving Daniel Jones, hey, you got one more year, but you know this guy is right behind you, and he's coming. Is that worth a roll of the dice? Or, you know, with a, with a top-heavy draft and wide receivers as well, you talk about Adunze and Neighbors, um, does that just make more sense? I think when you start looking at that, if, if Jaden Daniels isn't the pick at number three, it, it's probably going to be Marvin Harrison. That really puts the, the Cardinals in a, in a spot where they would be the team that would really control everything and be looking to, to go ahead and move that pick. As far as the Giants, I think it would make sense. I'd have to go back and, and look at the Daniel Jones contract again, but I think they kind of have an out after this year. So it would make sense for them to go ahead and, and take a swing if they they have a high grade on, on Jaden Daniels. But I mean, I count at least seven quarterback needy teams. And I, I think you start looking at teams like specifically Oakland, I've heard is, has a high grade and, and think highly of Jaden Daniels. You start looking at a team like that to go ahead and move up. And then you really have to start figuring out like some of these other quarterbacks, you know, in free agency and, and, and trade Justin Fields, Russell Wilson, Kirk Cousins, and even Sam Howell. I, I don't think Sam Howell stays on Washington. I think a team will take a, a swing on him for maybe a, a late third or early fourth round pick considering what he did you know this year I don't think Eric Bieniemy did any any favors to him with the protection scheme and, and whatnot but I, I think you're gonna have some teams make some moves up to to go ahead and, and grab some of these quarterbacks I think you'll see some trades going on and for a team like New York I think it would make a lot of sense if if Daniels is on the board still are, are you all the way in on Caleb Williams are you like this guy has by far the highest ceiling or do you have your questions I, I've watched, I think all of these quarterbacks have some questions, but specifically, it, it seems like people are on two different ends of the spectrum with, with Caleb Williams. You hear that he's a generational talent, the best quarterback since Andrew Luck. Um, and and it's, it's, you can see it with some of the off-schedule plays that he makes and some of the things that he does. You know, how often he goes to, to his second and third process uh, in, in read, you know, is where things kind of come into to play i think when you look at his film and i was watching some of the breakdowns you know just here recently when he knows where he's going with the ball early it's as clean and as accurate as you, as you can get whenever he has to to go ahead and make reads it tends to come in with the scramble some of the hero ball and you, you just have to wonder how he's going to be able to be reeled in by offensive coordinator and be able to play within a system Following up on that, how far apart do you think Caleb Williams and Drake May are? Because I feel like every day I keep hearing more and more positive things about Drake May. I think in the eyes of scouts, I think there's a gap. Uh, you know, I, I do. I think you're going to have some teams that that really value the off schedule and kind of reaching and, and hoping to get that next Patrick Mahomes. And, and I, I think when you look at Drake May, the way he throws the ball, he throws it effortlessly. Like it doesn't look like he has to put a lot into it. I think as far as when you compare him to Jaden Daniels and, and Caleb Williams, I think he throws to covered receivers better. I think he's a little bit more accurate, and I think he's going to be able to go ahead and process things a, a little bit better and play within a system. Um, and I, I look, I, I strongly feel that he's going to end up in Washington. You start looking at Cliff Kingsbury and the connections with Caleb Williams, and it takes two to tango as far as getting a deal done. I just don't see Chicago doing it. I think they're going to go ahead and reset that quarterback salary situation and get some stuff back for fields and kind of build around Caleb Williams. But when you start looking at Washington, you have Cliff Kingsbury, who has a, a big connection and relationship with Phil Longo, who's now at Wisconsin, that coach Drake May at, uh, at North Carolina. And I think the connection there in the system that they've they both coached and and had Drake May play in. I think that's that's going to be strongly there, and I think that's going to be the pick there at, at number two. 
Scott Smith, a four for four with us here on BetQL Daily. So do you believe, Scott, it's locked in? It's Caleb Williams at one for the Bears specifically? Or do you think there's a thought the Bears trade out? Or I know you just mentioned it. There's a chance for them to sort of reset the quarterback salary structure there. We'll see what they're able to get for fields. Is It seems like there's maybe two teams in on the field sweepstakes right now. But is it locked in? Caleb Williams, number one to Chicago, definitely. I think it's one of those situations when you look at it from a team building aspect and philosophy, I think it's important for them to go ahead and reset that quarterback salary situation to, to go ahead and rebuild for the future. But also it's one of those things where it's going to take a hell of a load and, you know, to, to go ahead and trade up and give Chicago what they want or what they value for that pick. And it's also one of those things where you, you pass on a quarterback and trade out with somebody like Caleb Williams and he turns in to be, Patrick Mahomes, you're going to have GMs there that are going to be looking to to save their own neck. And if that ends up happening, you're, you're getting fired. And it, it's it's a move that could ruin your reputation as a GM for the rest of your career if you don't make that Caleb Williams pick. So I think when you look at job security and the way some of these front office personnel think, I, I just from a team building standpoint, I think it makes the most sense. And then you still, in order to trade that pick, you have to have a team that's willing to part with three first or even more. Is there a player that you've seen in maybe mock drafts or just people are high on that you don't think will go in the first round? I think you have to start looking at some of these quarterbacks. And Bo Nix is a guy that I'm teetering on. I've heard some scouts that that love him, that and I've seen some mock drafts that don't have him in the first round. I think it's going to be a big week for him. And from what I've been told is that he's going to really – kind of wow some of the the front office personnel with the interview process this week um he has a lot mm-hmm. to prove as far as being out there like throwing the ball and stuff but I'm, I'm still kind of you know working through some of these prospects on the bottom half of the first round i have my first mock draft's going to be out later this week so i, I don't have a, a guide pinpointed the one guy i will say that i'm high on that i'm struggling with right now is brock bowers i think brock yeah. bowers is the top five talent here in this draft but trying to slot him into to a team that really needs him and then also considering positional value and how teams value that it's hard to really find a team within that those top 10 picks that that are going to go ahead and get him so brock bowers is a guy that i think can slide a little bit but not necessarily based on his talent just based on finding a team that that's going to fit and value him at that high yeah that brock bowers landing spot difficult to project just because of the position And what's happened most recently with Kyle Pitts in Atlanta when he went fourth overall, even though that's probably not his fault. Uh, So that was Scott Smith, a four for four football. We turned to Ben Brown of Sumer Sports and Pinnacle. Yep. We started with the Bears at one, the Bears at nine. Listen up. We've always kind of pended and waited uh, on the number one overall selection, I would say, um, to kind of really like set the table for the rest of the offseason. And to me, what are the Bears going to do, whether they trade the pick, whether they trade Justin Fields? Like there's kind of like a, a, a lockdown of those two factors needing to happen or get resolved before a lot of other things get in place. I think, you know, obviously like the, the odds market has shifted towards Justin Fields ending up in Atlanta that has an impact on, you know, other free agent quarterbacks like Kirk Cousins and everyone else kind of aligning with different teams or maybe staying with the same team. So I think that one bears piece of the puzzle does seem like it's moving towards a resolution of Caleb Williams being the number one overall draft pick going to Chicago, them moving on from Justin Fields. And I think that is the piece that is kind of hinging on the rest of the news kind of percolating out. So I do expect that to happen here relatively quickly probably you know a week before free agency which means uh we should be seeing in the next week or two some sort of movement i would say specifically on justin fields uh, and the new team that he ends up with 
See, Ben, it's a wrap in my world. It's over. Didn't we see the shirtless Justin Fields jumping up and down in his kitchen after saying that he didn't want anything to do with the Bears or anything NFL anymore in social media? Like, it's a wrap. I do think that. I am with the markets. Like, if we're following the betting markets, right, they're going to trade him to the Falcons. I don't know that that's the case. I feel much more confident that they're going to take Caleb Williams number one overall, and that's been the clear-cut favorite all along. I'm not going to disagree with that. So I'm going to go another Bears route with you. Number nine, if Caleb's the plan, let, let's move forward with that. What is the dream scenario sitting there for them at number nine? Yeah, I would say, you know, and it is like a really, I would say a really strong wide receiver class at the top. Obviously, if you get Caleb Williams, like you don't want to go in a lot of ways the same direction um, with what happened, I would say, with Justin Fields having a couple of years where he didn't have a number of bona fide playmakers. And obviously they do have DJ Moore kind of in the fold as well, but Landing on somebody, I would say, at pick nine, basically, that can kind of revolutionize this offense, whether that is Malik Neighbors. Obviously, discussions with him are you know, going to be, does he end up at number six overall to like the New York Giants or something? Where does Marvin Harrison fall up? But it does seem like one of the top three wide receivers or Brock Bowers are very much going to be the expectation, I would say, at the number nine overall selection. So I do think they have to go offensive skill position player once again. Defensively, I think they're actually maybe a little bit stronger than where they even were playing at last year. And I do think that's a spot where they don't necessarily need to invest a ton of top 10 overall draft pick talent. So I do think wide receiver uh, is kind of the dream fantasy scenario. But also, I think, you know, from a front office standpoint, has to be the approach that they want to take in a similar vein to, you know, what Cincinnati did pairing, you know, a, a quarterback and wide receiver. Obviously, they did that in subsequent draft classes as opposed to getting all those guys in the first in one draft class. But I think to me, Roma Duznese at, you know, number nine overall makes a lot of sense if one of Malik neighbors or maybe Marvin Harrison Jr. isn't actually available at number nine. I'm here in Washington. I was just telling the guys I was reading that uh, new owner Josh Harris is sitting in on all these combine quarterback interviews, which just makes me think, brother, what are we even doing? It seemed like Drake May at number two. Now it seems like more like maybe that'll be Jaden Daniels. What's your assessment of that situation? I'm on record as kind of being a Drake May guy. I don't think necessarily like the conversation is him or, or Caleb Williams at number one overall, but I did think there was a pretty decent gap between those two guys and the, and the next available at that quarterback class kind of heading out of the the college football season uh and to me it's kind of kind of been a situation where people have kind of picked apart drake may's game and in a lot of ways that gap has closed for who's going to be selected number two overall but for all the things that i've seen i still think it's drake may to me the concern with Jaden daniels obviously is very much like his his rate of sacks based on pressure type situations that's been a you know a pretty big issue with Justin Fields as well, and I think in a lot of ways it's a it's a spot where the league is maybe trending ahead of you know public people who are kind of trying to size up where these guys are going to end up, and I think that's going to be the main differentiator between Drake May and Jaden Daniels at two, and and probably the main reason why Drake May ends up as the number two overall selection over Jaden Daniels come April. Ben Brown of Sumer Sports and Pinnacle at Ben underscore R underscore Brown on Twitter for a ton of great information on what to expect this NFL offseason, including the draft, as we're going through the combine right now. You mentioned Jaden Daniels. Just how much work do you think he needs before he hits his ceiling at the NFL level? There, There's clearly more room to grow, I think. A lot of us would agree on that. But the steam on Jaden Daniels the last couple of weeks, especially in mock drafts, uh, um, do we see that continue without him necessarily throwing on Saturday night? Or is this an opportunity for some of those second-tier quarterbacks in particular to make a name for themselves? 
I think, you know, obviously, you know, pending pro day performance and those sorts of things, I, I think his stock has kind of risen to the point where it, it's not necessarily becoming unjustifiable, but there's not a lot more wiggle room towards the upside there. So I do think in a lot of ways, like the conversation on, you know, JJ McCarthy in particular, Michael Penix, like those guys maybe moving closer to like a top 15, top 10 selection is very much going to probably take over and dominate, you know, the quarterback discussion. To me, I, I think Jaden Daniels can probably really only go in one direction. Obviously, like his measurables and everything else are going to be off the charts. Maybe there's a scenario where, you know, from like a broad jump and, and vertical jump perspective, he kind of blows it out of the water. And that's the reason why he maybe gains even more steam. But I, I still think landing as the number two overall selection is, is, is really as high as he's going to go. And there's not a lot of wiggle room to get you know, I, I would say even up to where he's actually currently at in a lot of scenarios. So I think the downside is maybe he doesn't test as well. You know, people start to pick apart his game a little bit more, obviously like the progressions and reads and those sorts of things. And again, going back to it, like the conversion of sacks from pressure type situations, I think in a guy like that from, you know, from an athleticism standpoint, like you'd want to see a little bit more escapability, especially at the college football level, because guys at the NFL are going to be so much faster and bigger and stronger that, you know, that's the one thing that really does translate so to me i think the Jaden daniels you know hype has maybe been a little bit overblown and i would probably expect it to uh, i would say peter out here a little bit more than actually gaining any more steam right now do you have like a thought on how many could go in the first round since we've been talking about what a quarterback rich draft this is or are we going to be surprised yeah. i think we are going to see um five probably go i i think like you know in some ways um, you know, obviously the three that we've talked about already, you know, Penix and JJ McCarthy, like, I think those two are going to end up in the back half of the first round. Um, when it's all said and done, I also think there are going to be some guys going in the second round, you know, a guy like Joe Milton as well as like kind of the prototypical second round, uh, you know, quarterback draft selection, really gaudy arm, really athletic and kind of in some ways make everything on the football field, but maybe doesn't have the touch and, and accuracy and everything else to be a legitimate first round quarterback talent. But I think teams are going to fall in love with him. I think Michael Pratt obviously has some age, age concerns along with Michael Penix, but I think, you know, those two guys in particular kind of fit in the, in the mid part of the second round to even, you know, you know, uh, early second round. And I think that the discussion is like, just how far do they get pushed up if a guy like Michael Penix and a guy like J.J. McCarthy end up within the first 15 picks? So I think it's relatively safe to say we see five quarterbacks go, and I and I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that six end up going here when it's all said and done, and maybe even seven. We talked about six quarterbacks there, and after those six, it should be a long wait. So it wouldn't surprise me to see Penix get pushed up a little bit into late first, early second territory. Ben Brown this week on BetQL Daily. Check us out weekdays, 8 to 11 a.m. on the BetQL Network via the Odyssey app, twitch.tv slash BetQL, 105.9 FM HD2 here in Chicago, or the BetQL Daily Podcast. Pretty strong day of college hoops. Marquette Creighton, Kansas Baylor, and Tennessee, Alabama. Today's card is next. Follow me on X at Joe Ostrowski at Joe Ostrowski. Early odds on 670 The Score. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. 
Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. and the Odyssey app. Early odds with Joe Ostrowski on 670, the score. How about some college hoops? Well, you're going to want to close your ears, Big Ten fans, for just a moment, but don't go anywhere. On BetQL Daily, we went over today's slate of games with Mike Rutherford of CardChronicle.com. We start with the conference to back and the conference to fade before getting the madness matchups. I mean, you can't really argue his thoughts in the Big Ten. Take a listen. Is it fair to just default to the Big Ten? Like Big Ten, I knew this it? was coming. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I kind of was leading the witness here, but yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's it, – how can you not say that after the last several years where every single and, – and look, it's it's not like it was uh, three seasons ago or two seasons ago where it was, hey, the Big Ten's going to get 11, 12 teams in. They're the best conference. It's not even close. Like that kind of that that distinction goes to the Big Twelve this year. They're carrying that banner. They're the conference that has, I think, uh, eight teams in the top forty-five of the net rankings. They're the team that the conference is going to get probably double-digit teams in without question. But the Big Ten every year seems to kind of spit the bit. Not just the top teams losing in the first weekend, but we've had so you know I think they brought eleven teams to the NCAA tournament three years ago, and. None of them made it past the second round, which was just an absurd fail rate. And I think the deal with the Big Ten this year is they're really good in the middle. But besides Purdue, you don't look at them as having a realistic national title contender. I guess I think you can make the case for Illinois if you want to, but they're a little bit more of a difficult sell. So I would not be shocked at all if you have these teams in the middle of the conference that have been you know, good but not great so far this season all getting bounced in the you know the, the second or third rounds of the NCAA tournament. Like I'm, I'm not a big believer in Wisconsin. Um, I, I'm trying to think of who else. I'm, I'm not a Nebraska has been a, a, a cute little story. I, I'm not sure they can do a whole lot of damage. <laughs> uh, it's just a, it, it's the, the Big Ten. They're on fraud watch every single year until they prove us all otherwise. I love cute little stories. I want to ask you about Marquette at Creighton. I'm looking forward to this one. Marquette has been cruising. They've won 11 of their last 12. They're on a three-game winning streak, and they've won those three games by 22 points or more. They've been covering the spread. Ken Palm has Creighton winning by four. Curious what you like in this matchup. It's tough to pick against a home team in the Big East. Home teams have been kind of cleaning up in that conference all season long. And it's not just the Big East. It's been this has been the year of, of home teams, whether they're ranked or not, taking care of business in big time games in the conference. But Marquette outside, if you if you just take away the blowout loss to UConn, which I, I realize is a difficult thing to do. They haven't lost to anybody since January 10th, and they've been really good away from home. They've won some quality road games. They beat Villanova on the road. Uh, they beat Butler on the road. They beat St. John's on the road. Two of those three teams are, are right there flirting with the NCAA tournament. Villanova can probably, you know, they're, they're flirting with it as well. So I, I think Marquette has a fighting chance here. Having said that, it's difficult to pick against Creighton in, in a home spot where I think they need this game a little bit more than Marquette does. They're still 
a little bit wounded from some of the losses they took at the beginning of the month. They've played better as season has gone on. I think Creighton gets right in this game. I, I think they are a legitimate threat to make a run back to a regional final and potentially beyond if they get the right matchups. Uh, I think this is a good moment for Baylor Shireman and, and Ryan Kalkbrenner to kind of reintroduce themselves to the college basketball world who may have forgotten about him. Marquette's very, very good. I think that they're a, uh, easy pick to repeat as Big East tournament champions this year. I would not be shocked at all if they did that and maybe upset UConn or, or if somebody else picks off UConn. But I like Creighton in this spot this weekend. Let's talk Kansas Baylor. It was a surprise the other day down at BYU. Well, both these teams lost to BYU recently. But um, it, it feels like people are very concerned about the Jayhawks. And with this McCullough status, you have every reason to be. They're trying to hide the status. Oh, he's improving a little bit. But doesn't it seem like yeah, we'd be lucky if we see him again this year. There's been something off with this Kansas team the entire season. And, and the McCuller injury stuff has been on and off for the last two or three weeks. And I'm kind of with you. I, I'm starting to doubt his long-term availability. And we're not talking about just like, oh, he's their leading scorer. Like, this is a first-team All-American probably that we're talking about potentially not being available or not being 100% for the, the most important games of the season. I've kind of been saying this entire year, like this Kansas team reminds me a little bit of the Kansas City Chiefs, where it's like there's there's just something missing. They they feel like they can turn it on when they want to, and then eventually at the end of the year they were able to. And and now with the way they're playing, I'm not sure that's going to happen. Like they they looked completely outclassed by BYU. The lack of depth on that roster, I think, is starting to show itself a little bit. Hunter Dickinson is maybe more bark than bite. I don't know. Maybe he can have a gigantic NCAA tournament, but he's been. As good as he has been, he's been a little bit of a disappointment, I think, for people that were claiming he was going to be the national player of the year and he was the biggest fish in the the transfer portal pond. I'm not saying that I'm selling on Kansas. I, I think you're wrong to just totally dismiss them if that's what you're doing right now. But these couple of games where they play Baylor this weekend and then they're going to end up with a, with Houston a week from, from this weekend to wrap up the regular season, I, I think they'll give us some solid indication. If they win one of them, I, I think you sort of have to keep them on your, your national championship consideration list. If they look vastly inferior in both these games, I, I think you can kind of sell them and say this just they're never going to click. They're a first weekend team that you circle and say, I don't think they're making it out of those first two rounds. I knew Chris and Joe wouldn't ask you about the Zags at St. Mary's. They left it for me. So yeah. here we go. Um, Gonzaga at St. Mary's. Ken Palm has St. Mary's winning by two. St. Mary's, interestingly enough, has four quad one wins. The Zags only have one. Uh, any chance the Zags can keep this close? Sure. I, I mean, Gonzaga is playing its best basketball season. They were really, really good in a difficult spot against a good San Francisco team. Uh, they played at the, the the Chase Center where the Warriors play. It was a little bit of a different environment. And a, a lot of people liked USF to pick off Gonzaga in that game, and Gonzaga wound up winning by 20. They have not lost since the last time they played St. Mary's on back at the beginning of February. And sprinkled into all those West Coast Conference wins is a gigantic road win over Kentucky, which is starting to look better and better on their resume with UK playing a little bit better. Uh, I mean, all the talk about Gonzaga this season has been they've never missed the NCAA tournament under Mark Few. They've got the third longest uh, consecutive NCAA tournament streak, uh, going to, what I think, 21 straight years behind, one year behind Michigan State. Can they do it again? If they win this game, I think they put themselves in a position where they don't have to win the West Coast Conference tournament. If they just make it to the championship game, they can lose to St. Mary's in the rubber match and probably still be in the NCAA tournament. But you know, the, the bubble's good this year. It's, it, I always make fun of the bubble, people saying it's historically weak. I'm like, it's it, it's always historically weak. It's the bubble, for God's sake. We're not talking about you know a 28-2 team from the ACC being on the bubble. 
And this year is the one year where people are like, the bubble's actually pretty good because all these uh, unranked teams have been picking off these ranked teams. So Gonzaga, if they if they get a third quad one victory, which is what this, this game against St. Mary's would be, I don't think they need to win the West Coast Conference Tournament to get in. But if they lose this game, you're probably looking at needing to win two games in Vegas to, to make it in. But they're playing, I'd say, just as well as St. Mary's over the past two or three weeks. They seem to have figured some things out. I think they absolutely have a puncher's chance. And I'll go one step further. I think they win this game in Marega. I think they, they even the score, and they wind up putting positioning themselves to be an at-large team in the NCAA tournament by, by beating the Gales. Any other games this weekend you have an eye on? Any angles you really like going into this weekend? Tennessee, Alabama, I, I kind of glossed over just talking about Tennessee. I think this is a big spot for Alabama. Um, I, I think they need to prove some things because they've been extremely hit or miss. Also, Virginia Duke, I, I think the, you know, the ACC has gotten overlooked a little bit. Virginia has been insanely up and down. Duke has been good more or less, but not elite, as elite as we thought they were going to be. I'm very curious to see if Virginia can keep things close on the road, solidify themselves as an NCAA tournament team, or if Duke is is going to play Carolina for at least a share of the ACC tournament title next week. And I think that's one to circle and pay attention to. Everyone about to become a college basketball expert. That guy, actually an expert, Mike Rutherford. He's outstanding. Cardchronicle.com. Make sure that you follow him on X as well. March Madness right around the corner. So is baseball. How do we handicap the NL? This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Central and home run leader. That is next. You've got early odds with Joe Ostrowski on 670 The Score and the Odyssey app. The Score listener line is powered by BetQL. Bet smarter and beat the books. Download the BetQL app today or visit BetQL. Com. Welcome back. Early out to Joe Ostrowski, Sports Radio 670. The score back in the normal routine, and we have our buddy Jim Miller from Hawthorne Racecourse. He's thinking baseball. Jim, my math is probably wrong. It usually is, but I think we're 26 days away. I'm ready. It, it, spring training's going, so we're beyond pitchers and catchers reporting. We have live action taking place. Some teams have like 70 players in the dugout, which is absolutely insanity to me. And you still have some major free agents that are out there that are unsigned. But regardless, we're four weeks or so from baseball, a little bit less than that. I'm ready for it now, Joe. I'm really annoyed by the free agent thing. Aren't you? We're, we're dealing with this every single year. The owners have so much money they don't know what to do with. It's just the, the choice that they've made. Oh, we're, we're not going to pay these guys. We don't want to do it. And I know you have agents like Boris that get involved and make things tricky. And it always becomes a storyline and leverage here, leverage there. But uh, I am annoyed that you've got some stud players. We're going to start off with the home run leader market and get to breaking down the NL Central with the Cubs in just a couple of moments. But you have guys that could be in the mix for home run leader, but we don't have odds because they don't have a team and we have no idea which park they're going to play the majority of their games in. And that's the thing about it, because now you're missing time through spring training. And those at-bats are valuable. No matter what you think you can do in a cage, no matter what you can do, just hitting off a tee or anything until you get in that live action, it does put you behind. So all of these guys are going to be set behind. So anybody that hasn't signed as of this weekend, probably figure, Joe, 
you're not going to get the normal production out of them for a month into the season. Then after that, you can start to kind of iron things out. But yeah, that's going to make a big difference. And it is. I mean, look at Blake Snell on the Cy Young end of things. I mean, this is a guy that's probably going to hurt his chances a little bit. You look at a lot of bats that are still out there. It is. It makes it intriguing for those that have signed. But man, you could put together almost an all-star team of unsigned players. Jim, I'll let you go first. But when it comes to home run leader, well, hey, when it comes to any betting market, you know what I'm doing in the preseason. I'm hunting for value. Where's some big numbers where maybe I can be in the mix for home run leader this season. And uh, these numbers are going to be long gone once we get into the heart of the year. I've got three names circled, but uh, you go first. What do you think of well, home run leader? Well, and it's cool that you got three names circled. So here's the thing. First off, let's premise it by this. The guys that were atop the home run leaderboard last year, Matt Olson and Kyle Schorbert, those are guys that played all the time. Matt mm -hmm. Olson played every single game last season. Schorbert played 160 games. For me, I dig a little bit deeper into guys that didn't play as many games and were still productive. So the first one I'm going to start out with, Joe, and then I'm going to get to some bigger odds. But the first one is kind of obvious, but he's 9-1. to one, But that's Shohei Otani. He had 44 home runs last year, and that was in 135 games. He had 497 at-bats. That's compared to Matt Olson, who had 608 at-bats last year. Yet you can still find Shohei Otani, a guy who's just going to be a DH this year, Somewhere around 9 to 10 to 1, I think that's a decent price. It is. He checks every box except for mine, which is the value. Like th There's no value there. I'm not going to sit here and say Otani's not going to be the home run leader. Some are maybe thinking, oh, out west, marine layer, late at night. Yeah, he played out west a lot last year, too. I mean, he's so good, it doesn't matter. So I can't argue with Otani. I'm just never going to bet it. Who's your first, then? Oh, my first? Um, I have three long shots. So why don't you go through your other two, and then, okay. then I'll hit mine. All right, so here, my other two long shots, and they follow the same premise that I used for Shohei Otani, guys that are either coming off injuries, played limited games last year and should improve, or had limited at-bats and should improve. The next one, I go much, much deeper down the board, 65-1 to one on Steger coming out of Texas. This is a guy that's coming off the sports hernia. 33 home runs last year, 119 games, 477 at-bats. And then you want to go even further down for another guy that's kind of coming off an injury plague season. The pairs to be fit, but this is a guy that could factor from teams pitching around Shohei Otani at 130 to one. You get Max Muncy. This is the guy 36 home runs last year, 135 games, 482 at bats. This is the guy that looks like he's going to be the everyday third baseman there in LA. And he's a massive, massive number. Do either of those intrigue you at all? Yeah, because I have one of them. Yes. <laughs> I have Corey Seager. Yes. Corey Seager, 65 to one, ridiculous amount of value, uh, 33 home runs in each of his last two seasons. But the difference being last year, he only played in 119 games. As far as the stat categories that I take a look at year after year, the home run leader typically pops in these categories. I look at hard hit rate, exit velocity, barrel rate, expected slugging, stuff like that that's where the home runs come from. Seager's top 10 in three of those four categories. So if he puts together a full season, man, yes, he can hit some bombs. So 65 to one. I like that. Uh, I've got two different names. I'll save the, uh, the longest shot for last. How about a Seager teammate? <laughs> I was surprised at the number that was out there for Adolis Garcia. 
My guy last year. Adolis Garcia. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot you talked about him a whole bunch. So why are you off of him this year? Because he's 45 to 1. He certainly pops. He hit a bunch of bombs last year. And I know everybody was talking about him in the playoffs. Why didn't you land on him this year since uh, there is still value? Only because I think there's going to be a little bit more respect given to him this year. I thought last sure. year they were they were thinking, okay, well, yeah, you got Marcus Simeon in that lineup. You have Seager in that lineup. You have some other guys. And Adolis Garcia was the one that benefited. I mean, he was an RBI machine. But then you look at what he did in the playoffs, and he had a massive playoffs. I'm not dismissing him because Texas is a great hitting ballpark, too. I think he could be right there. He was the guy that I had played at massive odds for MVP last year, and I thought mm-hmm. he put up very good stats. Unfortunately, it was in a league that had Shohei in it, but no Shohei this year. But 45 to 1 is an excellent price on Garcia. Yeah, yeah. All right, you're going to laugh at the last one, okay? And when I was looking over this, Jim, I didn't find a ton of value. And you know I'm the value player, but so I'm I'm giving you what I could find. But for the most part, the guys that I do like, they're 10 to 1. Eight to one, maybe max out at 14 to one, like a Juan Soto, like that grabbed my attention with that short porch in right field. I'm sure he's going to hit a ton of home runs, but am I going to bet it at 14 to one preseason? Probably not. So mentioned Seeger, mentioned Dolis Garcia. No, the third one is not a Texas Ranger. We're going to go to Florida. A name you are, are you very, going Jorge Soler? A name you are very familiar with. I am not going with Jorge Soler. I had the guy that actually had the third highest barrel rate in Major League Baseball last year. Always a question of health, but it's 120 to 1 for Jake Berger. Okay, he fits everything that I would look for in a guy. Look at his home run numbers last year compared mm-hmm. to the amount of games and at-bats that he played. This is a power machine, and he's finally in a spot where he's probably going to play don't you think 140 to 150 games this year, especially with the ability to DH? I love that play, Joe. I think that's awesome. He hit 34 last year, 34 bombs, pretty limited action, I would say so, between the two teams. Let's put together a full season. Let's see what he can do. If he can, I don't want to say the floor's 40, but I, I think he could certainly get there. If you max everything out, sure, I could see Berger getting to 50, and 54 is what won it with Olsen last year. And that was at 162 games with an absolutely massive season. Mm-hmm. 50 might be the number that can win this, Joe. Sure. So I, I can totally see that. And you're right. And nobody's going to be scared by Jake Berger. He's going to get pitched to. He's going to get that opportunity to hit. Look at him. He's a professional hitter. He's I mean, he, he's, he's Kyle Schwarber from the other side of the plate. Oh, yeah. So. There's no doubt about that. Two years ago, 48 won it for you, right? It was a tie between Vlad Jr. and Salvi Perez. We can throw out the judge here. You can't expect 62, and you can't make that the bar. But, yeah, somewhere around 50 is going to be your home run leader in Major League Baseball. Early odds with Joe Ostrowski, Sports Radio 670, the score weekly contributor, Jim Miller here. And Jim Miller wanted to talk about the National League Central. What is your approach in attacking that division? All right, so we're on the home of the Cubs, so we've got to talk about the Cubs. (laughs) But this is the thing. It's really weird when you look at the win totals for this division, and here's the reason why. Last year, Milwaukee won the division with 92 wins. Cubs, 83. Since the 82, Pittsburgh, 76. St. Louis, 71. The numbers this year, basically for your win total, all right, the Cubs are right at their number from last year. 83 and a half is about what you're seeing. Since the, that number went down, they're at 80 and a half. Pittsburgh, 75 and a half. But then you're looking at basically a 15-win difference. Milwaukee dipping 15. St. Louis increasing 15. I don't think St. Louis has really made anything major off what they've done last year 
to improve from a 71-win team to going over for 85 and a half. I'd play under there, but those middle three teams, the Cubs at 83 and a half, Cincy at 80 and a half, Pittsburgh at 75 and a half, I would consider playing over for wins on all three of those teams. Why are the Cardinals favored to win the division? I have no idea. What was their big move? Brandon Crawford? Yeah, it's just the expectation of positive regression. That's the only thing that I can come up with. Now, it seems like there's been bets coming in on the Cubs, so maybe it's getting closer and closer. I did see one main sports book that did make the Cubs a slightest of favorites. Um, they probably should be. I don't have a problem yep. with that. It's interesting that Cincinnati's just hanging around in the middle. They're about four to one to win the division. I know for win totals, they have been the most popular team at some sports books. So people are all in on the youth and they were a fun story. They're a fun team to watch. The problem is they just don't have the pitching. Like right. offensively, they can light up the scoreboard, but they just don't have the arms. That's the concern there. I think the Cubs should be the favorite. I think the Cubs are going to win this division. What do you think? I, I think the Cubs should win this division too. Here's the one thing that I really find for the disparity, though. All right, you're looking at the Cubs, a win total 83 and a half. They're somewhere hovering around, say, two to one to win the division. Okay, look to the bottom of the division. Couldn't the Pittsburgh Pirates kind of be like your Baltimore Orioles a little bit last year? They're 16 to one to win the division, a clear longest shot. Well, remember, one of your studs last year, O'Neill Cruz, was out basically all season. They do have some young players, they do have some young pitching. This is a team that's in a division where you may look at, 87 wins, possibly winning the division, and everybody could be in that gap from, say, 78 to 87. I would say the value actually lies with the Pittsburgh Pirates to win the division at 16 to 1. Yeah, I mean, some position players we can all get behind with some local products there as well. Uh, again, the pitching. Mitch Keller is your opening day starter. He's he's your one. Martin Perez is your two. Marco Gonzalez is your three. The the strength in the rotation just isn't there. I think that's the biggest issue with Pittsburgh. Okay, so we're sure we're not, we don't have to worry about the Brewers, right? I feel like we've had this conversation many times. Brewers are stepping back. Don't have to worry about them. And then here they find ways to, to get it done. I'm not saying they're the Rays, but they do find ways to be competitive. Craig Council doesn't leave to go to another team within his division if he's not a believer in the other team, I don't think, because he had it very good in Milwaukee. So I, I think that was the major move. That was your telling sign right there. Mm, that's an excellent point, Jim. All right, let's close with the horses. We've got the fountain of youth today. What do you think? Yeah, one major prep that I really want to focus on, because this horse is going to provide some value, but the fountain of youth, race 14 at Gulfstream Park. It's a big points race for the Derby, a 50-point race. Horse by the name of Doorknock. This is the five horse in this race. It's coming off a victory in New York. They could have stayed in New York to try to continue on that path, go through the Wood Memorial to the Derby. But instead, they're going to go the Florida route, and there's some decent money down here. But you're not going this way unless you think you can win. So Doorknock's going to be my play. Play that horse across the board, build the bankroll, and then transition it over to some overplays for the NL Central. Beautiful. I like it. People upset that football season's over. Wow, they got the combine going on. It's never really over for football. But we've got plenty of stuff going on. And before you know it, it's going to be March Madness time as uh, the college basketball regular season is winding down. Can't wait. Jim Miller, weekly contributor here on Early Odds. Thanks, and let's do it again next Saturday, all right? You got it, Joe. Good luck. Appreciate Jim Miller there. Mike Rutherford on College Hoops. Ben Brown and Scott Smith on the draft class, mostly QBs for obvious reasons. Jam-packed hour of early ons with you this morning. If you missed any of it, go to the Odyssey app. There's that rewind feature or check out the Early Odds podcast. I recommend subscribing to the BetQL Daily podcast so you don't miss any of our segments. Uh, starting to preview the baseball season, different awards markets, divisions, win totals. 
A lot of fun there as well. And of course, we're getting you primed for March Madness. And we cover the NBA on a daily basis as well. That's weekdays 8 to 11 a.m. on the BetQL Network via the Odyssey app. Find us on 105.9 FM HD2 and twitch.tv slash BetQL. Inside the Clubhouse with Bruce Levine and David Haw is next. Cash those tickets and keep it locked right here on 670 The Score. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.